Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. So to start, how many of you were at the Justice Conference yesterday? Quite a few. Um, I was thinking today, I was like, are my stories going to overlap? I may give a few things that overlap, but it's just because not everyone may have heard it. So grace, grace, if you have to hear something twice. But um, yes, we're so grateful to be here, our second time in Singapore, and we just absolutely love this place. So it is, it's such an honor. Um, it, Andre gave away a little bit of what we do. Sometimes it's fun to get up here and people are like, oh, they put me in a box really quickly. And then it's fun just to drop a few warlord stories and everyone's like, wait, 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 who? Um, but it wasn't long ago that we were actually in Eastern Congo and we were in the office of a UN agent talking about how we can get into more, I don't know, red zones deeper and deeper into conflict areas. And we were talking to these UN officials and they just kind of looked at us. And they're like, wait, you want to go where? And we we're like, well, into this region right here. And we know some people, we want to do some assessments, see how we can expand. And they go, but that place has ongoing conflict right now. And we said, exactly, so that's why we're trying to go. And they're like, okay, well, we don't understand entirely what's happening here, but okay, right now, it's a very dangerous time. Don't go this week. And I said, well, what about next week? And they said, fine, maybe next week. If you want to go next week, you can try next week. And I think they thought we were not entirely serious. They were like, fine, go. Well, we were excited for next week. As the time came up, it felt like Christmas. We were like, oh, it's going to come. We're going to go into this place. We're going to see God move. And we hop in our car first thing that morning, and we trek out and down the road into this area. It had a lot of conflict. And as soon as we got to the village that we were aiming to go, we climb out of the car, and we hear bombs going off all around us. And now, I didn't grow up as a really fearless kid. <laughs> I wasn't the kind of kid that you would say, she's really bold, one day she will go into the craziest places around the world. I actually grew up with a ton of anxiety issues. I grew up, they diagnosed it, if you can diagnose it, as separation anxiety, which pretty much means I was attached to my mom at the hip for a really long time. And I just, I was nervous about everything. Even into high school, I remember we would have like, I don't know, public speeches in class or something, and I would get so nervous, I would literally throw up right beforehand, and I would beg my teachers, like, please don't make me do it. And they're like, Cassandra, you have to do it. And I would throw up and usually get excused. So <laughs> I just had so much anxiety about everything. So I was not exactly the most likely candidate to be sent out into a war zone. But for me, I heard about Congo when I was 10. Just this amazing God journey where he spoke the word Zaire, which Congo was formerly called Zaire. And I didn't know where that location was in the world. So I dismissed it thinking it was just the pizza from the night before. 
And instead of it going away, God spoke again. And he said, Cassandra, go to your map, center of Africa. That's where I'm calling you to go. And sure enough, center of Africa, Congo, or Zaire at the time. And so instantly, even though I still had all these anxiety issues, I started to fall in love with this place and see it differently, not see it as this crazy place of fear and war and rebel soldiers. And again, it was the rape capital of the world, worst place to be a woman or a child, the worst war since World War II. So 5.4, roughly 5.4 million people were killed in Congo's conflict. That's just outrageous. But as a kid, as this 10-year-old kid, I started to just feel like this place, it was my heart nation, as I would say. And suddenly it didn't seem so big and scary. And I want to go into, normally I go into the scripture a lot later in my talks, but I really want to dive into this one story because it's so, it's so valuable to stepping out and going from this really random anxious child to going to the UN and begging for them to give us clearance to go into the UN red zone, right? There's this, wait, how does that make sense? But this verse to me sums up a lot of it. So I want us to look at Joshua 3. Do you guys bring your Bibles to church anymore? <laughs> I know that's a random question. I don't normally, I'll pull out my phone, which I think is totally fine, but I brought it today. This is why I don't bring my Bible to church. Look how big my Bible is. It's a lot for my purse. <laughs> but if you have your phone, pull it out, Joshua 3. And there's so many different angles that we can look at with this scripture. You could go in and you could spend, I feel like you could spend months, people probably spend years on it. I just think it's so, so rich. But I'm going to quickly skim and only spend a few minutes. So read it later on your own time. Do a study. It is just so good. To give you some context, Joshua and the Israelites are going to be crossing the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River, in my mind, I grew up thinking it was like this small thing. The Jordan River is intense, y'all. This is not, they are not playing games. And I'm going to just patchy go through it. But first they start out with God saying, okay, you're going to cross. You're going to go into this area. Send in, if you look at verse 3, and he says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests who are the Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. Verse 4, then you will know which way to go since you have never been there before. And I love that because they're like, okay, send the presence of God first. That's how you'll know which way to go. Left, right, straight. Follow the presence of God. Follow the worshipers. Then you continue going through it. And they keep skimming. They're like, okay, you guys are going to cross it. You're all going to go. It's going to pile up. You're going to walk on dry land. It's going to be great. And they go, but it's not going to pile up until you go and you touch your toes to the water. Now, that to me seems a little intense. And not only that, but the Jordan River was at flood stages. If you look, verse 15 now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. 
So this is intense water flowing. And they're like, they are basing a lot on this. Okay, we're going to do this incredible journey. All these Israelites, it's not going to work until your toes touch the water. You are trusting God. They are stepping out of their comfort zone and relying fully on him in this moment. And I feel like so often God calls us to do something radical or something in our own life or our work or I'm calling you to leave your job or move cities or he calls us into these things, these invitations from heaven. And sometimes we think, okay, God, I hear you, but I want a confirmation first. Okay, I want another confirmation, maybe a third confirmation before I take another step. Or like, can you line up ABC and can you bring in more resources? Oh, maybe I need one more confirmation. Oh, maybe some more. Anyone ever done that? No, or am I fully alone in this? My husband and I do it all the time. I love how I just roped you into that. <laughs> We're always like, okay, God, we heard you say this, but maybe do this. Maybe one more, one more confirmation. Or we'll doubt that it's God. We'll say, well, I don't know if the Lord spoke super clearly. We just have this feeling. Or we just, we think God is leading. Favor's moving this way. But I don't know. The Lord didn't write it in the sky. So it might not be him. But so often, when God is calling us into a crazy new area, a new season or he's pushing us to step out, he doesn't necessarily tell us black and white, go do this. It's this invitation. It's this gentle leading from Holy Spirit. And for me, even though God spoke Congo very clearly at a young age, from that point on, that was like the last time he made something extremely clear. I feel like my entire journey from that point on were these small invitations from God saying, hey, here's this place, but I need your action. I need you to go up to the water and I need you to put your foot in the water before I'm going to move the waters. It requires that action, that relationship, that partnering with heaven. And so for my journey... God was like, okay, Congo. Instantly, I had no idea what that was going to look like. I was like, okay, well, probably a children's home because that's what I've seen around me, so that's going to be my direction. And before we go into the schools part, before God even told us schools and said, use education, God started speaking to me about warlords. And so Andre mentioned it a little bit. And I don't often share this part, but God started giving me these visions and these dreams. I was about 17, 18, and I would get these pictures when I would pray, and they were almost, yeah, pictures is a good way to say it, if you're unfamiliar with that. It's like a vision or something. And I would be worshiping God, and I would close my eyes, and I would see these very graphic things unfolding of soldiers and what these soldiers were doing to a community. And I would just be shocked and be like, God, what is happening? Why are you showing me these horrible things? And he would say, Cassandra, I love these men. 
And I would kind of brush it off and be like, oh, this is weird. (laughs) And then this one vision I got specifically, God kind of opened my eyes to this picture, and I was amongst those soldiers this time. And these soldiers, they were actually burying people alive. And I was in this pit with all these people. And I was looking at these soldiers, and I was like, what is happening? Jesus, like, are you going to come save me? Like, what is going on? And I could, it felt so real. Like, it was a picture, and I knew I was back at our, my house at the time. But it felt so real, and I looked around at these soldiers, and they looked so angry. And just when I felt like it couldn't get any worse, the scene switched. And suddenly, I was with the soldiers, with a shovel in hand, full army gear, helping to bury these people alive. And if the other situation didn't feel bad, this felt so much worse. It felt terrifying. I was like, what is happening? I don't want to bury people alive. God, like, stop this scene. And again, right when it felt so intense, Jesus stepped on the scene again. And I saw him look at these rebel warlords in the eyes. And he just had so much love for these men. And I just, I felt like an observer, like just watching this scene play out of Jesus pull these men close to him. After having known what was going on and the evil that was taking place, and God pulled this soldier in, and then he looked at me. And out of the corner of his eye, he goes, Cassandra, I hate what they do, but I love who they are, who I've made them to be. And in that moment, God didn't say, hey, Cassandra, I'm actually calling you to warlords, and I'm sending you to these people to bring the gospel. It was instead, in that moment, it felt like an invitation. And I was like, God, send me to the warlords. Because how much it must absolutely break your heart to be separated from the one you love so much. I had just seen this super intimate moment between Jesus and this soldier. And I can't imagine how much it would break his heart to see that soldier committing such horrific crimes. And so I said, God, send me. I will go and be a part of that reunification. I will go and tell them about you. I will go and love them the way you love them. Because that is such a beautiful moment that just took place. Send me, God. Send this terrified, anxious, ridden little girl from Canada. Again, I was like 18. I was a child. I was like, God, send me. God loves to just give us a little taste and this invitation and say, okay, come dip your toes in the water. And when you dip your toes, when you take that step, I will roll up the waters and have you cross on dry land. But you need that step. You need that action bit first. And so I started thinking, okay, how am I going to go and meet up with warlords? And so I was thinking, I was like, okay, if I go to a war zone and I just show up and say, like, here I am, take me to the warlord. I was like, this might not work as well as I thought. 
And so I started pressing in, okay, God, what is a strategy? I started traveling around to different war zones, living in people's mud huts, um, going from place to place, learning and being like, God, what do I do? How do we stop war? How do we reach warlords? What is the next step? And God said, education. Build schools. Use these schools as a center to catalyze that transformation that reach students and parents and whole communities. And these schools will go farther than you can imagine just by having this center. And so we started going deeper and deeper into these UN classified red zones, talking to the UN, saying, can we go that way? And the UN just would look at us and say, well, do you need an escort? Like, how, why do you want to go there? We'd say, because Jesus is there. And so we go into these red zones, and it turns out this is a perfect way to meet warlords, because warlords live in red zones. So we went and we started planting schools in these red zones. And I remember as we were planting these schools, we, we were meeting different soldiers. And sometimes it would be just a chance meeting. I would see this soldier and we would talk to him. And for some reason, soldiers often showed up at our house right around mealtime. Just saying. I was like, coincidence? I think not. And these men would knock on our door, and we were like, what is happening? We'd open the door, and they'd be decked out in their, you know, AK-47s and their extra ammo. Often, which is very, very sad, they would have child soldiers guarding them, which is very difficult to watch. So we'd invite them in and say, well, we're, we're having dinner now. They'd say, oh, really? I haven't eaten dinner yet. <laughs> well, you're welcome to come in and join us. So these soldiers would come in and they would sit with us and they'd be wearing their gear and they would have their AK-47 between their knees and we would eat with them and they would talk about life, talk about Jesus, talk about their families. All of them had families and they would say, hey, we just want to feed our family. And they would have the same problems and the same struggles that we would and you realize, oh, you're not that much different than me. And one time we were driving along the road, and as we were driving, I was like talking to my staff and our team, and I was like, we haven't had any chances to like minister and love on warlords lately. Like, what do we do? How do we, like, we're in the red zone. How do we meet these guys? And one of our team members says, stop the car. And we instantly urge. And he goes, we just passed the like head warlord of this region. Do you want to go talk to him? absolutely. So we hop out of the car. And I always, well, my mom always used to tell me, Cassandra, you take yourself wherever you go. You're not someone different in this city than another city. You take yourself wherever you go. So I just want to give you the picture. I walk up to the soldier and I am 100% me. So I'm like, hi, it's so good to meet you. I'm Cassandra. And like, we love this area. We have a house just down the road. Jesus loves you so much. And you know, would it be okay if we met with and had a meeting with you and your regiment? And he looks at me and he's shocked. And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> and so I said, perfect. 
and when can we do it? And he's like, well, I guess Monday morning before we go do our rounds. I was like, perfect, Monday morning. I was like, maybe not my house <laughs> or your house. Let's pick a neutral, safe zone in a very open public place. <laughs> you are still a warlord. <laughs> and so we met this meeting at this meeting place. Monday morning comes along, and I've been dreaming of this for a while by the time this happened. And so in my head... Obviously, you know, we start dreaming and things get bigger and bigger. And I'm like, I'm going to show up. His entire regiment is going to be there. We are going to minister to them. They are all going to get radically saved and Congo will be changed forever. Like this is what's going through my head. And I show up and there's like six guys. (laughs) Really? And I'm like, okay, well, like we have six of them. And Jesus just says to me, he goes, Cassandra, Preach as if there's 600. It's like, okay. So I get there and I'm, I'm going at it. I am like preaching. I am like standing on chairs. Like I am preaching to these guys. And halfway through, one guy lifts up his arm. I'm like, oh my gosh. They're not getting it. They completely don't understand what I've been saying. I am pouring out my heart and they don't get a thing. It's like, yes. And he goes how can I meet this Jesus you're talking about? I was like, oh my gosh, it worked. (laughs) Jesus, so we stopped everything and just started praying for these guys. And it gets messy. Everyone's crying and there's snot everywhere. We're on our knees just like praying for their feet and wherever they go. All the soldiers gave their lives to Jesus that morning. And... So this is the UN red zone. So we don't live there all of the time. There is no water electricity, to say the least. We always say you sleep with a stick by your pillow to swat off the rats that come to pick at your face that night. It's not pleasant. So we sleep in the city. So after this happened, we drove in our cars back to the city. It's about a six-hour drive. And... We were there doing some work, and several weeks we came back to the red zone. And as we were driving along the road, we were stopped by some soldiers. And checkpoints are not pleasant things in the red zone. Instantly, you're trying to figure out new places to hide your belongings. One time I taped money, like duct tape, to my side. Because you're... You're trying to hide everything. Now, that was not fun pulling that off later, but you're trying to do everything to stay safe. So we're stopped at this checkpoint. I'm like, oh, great, Jesus. And this soldier looks at us, and he goes, I know who you guys are. We go, do you? All white people look the same. (laughs) He's like, no, I know who you guys are. He goes, you're Justice Rising. We're like, "Uh uh-huh. He goes, you guys have some schools down the road. We're like, yep. And he goes, yeah, this car, I recognize this car. Do you? And he goes, a few weeks ago, you guys came here and you preached to my captain. And my captain came and brought that message back to our regiment. You guys brought us Jesus. And in that moment, we were like, oh my gosh. Those small invitations that God gives us have such massive ripple effects. But God never said, Cassandra, you go find those warlords. I want to bring them back to the kingdom. Jesus just said, 
This is my invitation. If you step on the water, step in the water, I will roll it up and you will walk through on dry ground. What invitations has Jesus been giving you? What invitations has God been saying, hey, I'm calling you to take a more radical step in this direction. I'm calling you to love the poor a little bit more like this. Calling you to give your time a little bit more at church. (laughs) What is God saying? And you're like, well, he didn't tell me exactly. He did not write it in the sand. I heard a scripture and he wrote in the sand. He didn't do that with me, so I'm probably not Jesus. So often it's just these small invitations. And I remember even when we were going to the red zone for the first time. So the red zone, even though, again, we talk about it very casually because we go there so often, the red zone can be a little intense. (laughs) And the first time I ever went to the red zone, I was single. Now I get to go with my amazing husband. And the first time I had heard all these stories about warlords, and I'm sorry if this is too graphic for people, but I had heard about warlords that would chop off people's lips, noses, and breasts. And I know this sounds weird, but as a single girl, I was like, oh my gosh, that was my biggest concern. I was like, I'm single. Will a man, like, will I be able to get married if I don't have lips or a nose? And I was like, I wasn't worried about losing it as much as like, okay, what will my wedding be like? Like, what, what do I do? But I had heard these stories for so long that I was really, I was a little nervous. And I was like, if I go to the red zone, what is going to happen? And normally we travel everywhere with teams, but the first time I was going to the red zone, I didn't bring any foreigners. I only went with my local staff because I thought, if I'm going to die, I don't want to, or if something tragic is going to happen, I don't want to call someone's mom back in the States. And I was like, my local staff will probably be better off than I would. Like, I would be the one that would be abducted. Going through all these things in my head. But I was so nervous the first time, and I just said, Jesus, I do need some kind of confirmation. I need something from you that makes me feel like it's okay to go to that water's edge during frickin' flood season. Am I allowed to say frickin'? During flipping? <laughs> All good? <laughs> I was like, it's in, our, in America, it's not that bad. I don't know. I want to be culturally relevant. Anyway, so I was like, I don't know. I think it's, you know, okay to go to the red zone. But God, I need some kind of confirmation. And so I prayed this for a few weeks. And the picture that Jesus gave me one night, I'll never forget it. Because I was crying out and I was like, no, Jesus, I'm not kidding. I really need some sort of picture to know that I will be okay going into this red zone. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to just go somewhere because I have this passion. But in the end, everyone says, oh yeah, that was just dumb. And so the picture I got was this picture of a UN red zone. It's like a war-torn area and bombs going off and different things like that in this area. And I saw this road in this picture. And on the road, there was this little child sitting there. And the child was facing away from me. And I looked at it, and everything in me was just drawn to this little child. And so I went up to this 
kid and I just kind of put my hand on its shoulder. And as it turns around, I know it sounds weird, but as it turns around, I looked at its face and it was Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus just said, hey, if you want to go to a war zone, if you want to go to these rebel-held areas, know that that's where I am. And like, if you want to come and hold me, feed me, comfort me, like that's where I am. So if you want to meet me here, you are welcome. He never said, okay, Cassandra, suck it up. Sometimes he does. But in this moment, he did not say, suck it up, you're going to be fine. If you lose your lips, it's the least you can do for these people. (laughs) That's not what he said. He just said, this is where I am. Come meet with me. Come sit with me. And we think it's going to be this big, booming voice. Go. Go into this place. Do this thing. And how many times does he invite us and just say, well, that's where I am. That's where I'm sitting. My heart is justice, so yeah, if you want to come do justice, that's me. Matthew 25. If you go and love these people, you're loving me. The invitation sometimes is already found in the scripture. We're like, but do I have time? Do we have all these things lined up? And Jesus is like, actually, the invitation's right here. The poor and the broken and the trafficked. God's already given us the go. And how often do we wait and say, well, God hasn't told me to go yet. Yeah. Pretty sure that's the the commission. So Jesus is longing as he calls us into these places to continue inviting us and giving us the strategy of saying, hey, if you go and you put your toes on the water, I will do the rest, or I will give you the keys. I will draw you into these places, and I will not leave you there alone. When we started going in and saying, okay, what do we do? And God said, build schools. I did not have a background in education. My husband does not have a background in education. But do not worry. We are not the ones teaching in these schools. (laughs) Instead, God lined it up, all these incredible partners on the ground, all these incredible people coming from all over. And Edison and I, technically, even though we've been doing this for a long time, we only really registered the organization about four years ago. And right now, we started, you know, as we went deeper and deeper, building one school after another, after another. Right now, we're at about 14 schools and 2,200 students. And our vision, as God just keeps expanding it and growing it right now, is to get to 40 schools in the next several years. And I wanted to show you a little video just so that at the end you could be like, oh, that's what they do. So if you want to roll the video... C'est toujours le cas nous voulons aider les enfants. La façon d'aider les enfants, c'est de bien les garder, le protéger. Faut protéger très bien les enfants puisque dans les têtes des enfants d'ici il y a beaucoup de choses c'est tous les problèmes de guerre les problèmes même de viol ça dérange les enfants 
Alors, ces enfants-là, ils ont gardé beaucoup de mauvais souvenirs, les choses qu'ils ont vues pendant la guerre. Depuis quand on a couru, mon père, là où il a couru, on a les frappé les... On travaillait avec eux, on leur posait des questions. Qu'est-ce que vous avez vu Qu'est-ce que vous avez entendu À quoi est-ce que vous avez pensé quand il y a eu les coups de feu Maman, Alinda voyage. Et ces enfants, quand ils arrivent à l'école, souvent on les trouve très calmes, ils ne parlent pas, ils semblent avoir peur. Aux enseignants, leur montrant comment ils peuvent prendre soin de ces enfants, comment ils peuvent les écouter, comment ils peuvent les, leur dire des choses pour les, les réconforter. Je suis devenu un enseignant car j'aimais que notre pays puisse aller de l'avant. Nous voulons que les enfants puissent avoir la transformation dans notre pays. Quand on m'a installé comme directeur ici, j'étais très content. J'ai un bon rêve pour cette école. Tu ne peux pas perdre si les frais scolaires, moi je peux payer pour toi. Oui, nous aimons beaucoup les enfants. Très bien, un show bravo. Un show bravo. Doublé. Puisque Justice est en train de nous apprendre, il faut souffler. Et avec ça, ça, ça va rester dans la tête des enfants. Quand ils seront de nouveau dirigeants, ils vont assumer la paix dans notre pays. Parce que si je n'avais pas été aussi éduqué, j'allais être comme ce bandit. Mais comme j'avais été éduqué, je suis en train de travailler à partir de l'éducation. On construit beaucoup d'écoles de justice rising. C'est pour seulement la transformation et amener la paix. C'est pour cette raison que nous l'aimons beaucoup. Mmh. Oui. That's Lou Senge, and he is an absolute legend. Um, so that's a little of what we do, and our goal isn't just to build schools. Our goal is to actually build peace. How do we go in and disrupt cycles of war? Which is a crazy thing to dream for. This we know. But we're like, maybe if we step out and we touch our toes to the water, God will show up and do the rest. And we have these 14 schools in the Congo. Again, we're expanding rapidly. And we, we've also started looking at other conflict zones. And we're going very slowly into these other places. But we started work in Iraq and Syria. And I just want to say, I, God, when you fix your eyes so intently on Jesus, so many fears fall away. But not all of them. I just want to be real. Maybe for you guys, perfect love casts out fear. This I know. And maybe some of you are absolutely fearless. But for me, sometimes I'm still freaked out. And sometimes it's just taking that step anyway. 
And as we were going into Syria, we started going into Syria just a couple years ago. And I had that moment again with Jesus, that same moment, kind of like the red zone of like, Jesus, does this make sense or is this just crazy? Should we not be going into Syria right now? And some of you may be like, no, you should not be going into Syria right now. But when we look at the God perspective, we're like, Jesus, what do you think? And I remember again the moment that I was just sitting with Jesus. It was in the middle of this worship service. And as I was sitting with Jesus, I kind of laid it all out before him. And I said, if you open the door, we'll walk through it. If you close the door, we'll move on. And in that moment, I just saw Jesus open this door and he goes, now's the time, like, let's do this. And it was again, just this invitation from Jesus saying, if you want, I will open that door and we'll go together. And that doesn't mean that from that moment on, okay, now I'm fearless. Like, let's go. Let's run ahead. It was the day before we were supposed to go into Syria and my hands broke out. This may be weird information. My hands broke out in this rash and I've figured out every time I go into a place where I'm all, where I think maybe I could die or maybe it's really intense. It's like my body responds. And I say that just to be real of like, sometimes you're still a little afraid and you go anyway because you're just leaning into Jesus and you're trusting Jesus and he gives you that peace and you're able to take those steps. We get to press into Jesus and see incredible things. Our partners in Syria and Iraq and in Congo, you got to see it. We are seeing the transformation. We are seeing God move in people's lives. And that first story when we went out to the red zone and we got out of our car and bombs were going off around us. In that moment, I looked at Jesus again and I said, Jesus, have I gone too far? And I looked at him and be like, we're good. That's kind of the way a lot of this works is we make eye contact with Jesus and we say, do we keep going? How do you feel? Are we okay? And so as we go, we walked through this village and we knew some pastors in the community. So we went to the pastor's home and they looked at us and they were shocked. They go, what are you doing here? Bombs are going off around us. We said, well, we're here to tell you that you're not alone. And they said, well, like, what? Come to our house. Like, let's get out of the main street. So we go to their house and they are clearly very, very traumatized. Bombs going off. The wife of the pastor jumps so high every time a bomb goes off. And he says, we have been running from war. The communities around us have been running from war. And he goes, everyone is so tired. He goes, I thought no one remembered that we were alive. And he goes, thank you for coming. And in that moment, I had no idea what to say. How do I relate? At the end of the day, I get to go in our car and drive the opposite direction and fly back to America. How can I relate to his reality? So I paused and I said, can we just pray for you? Can we just invite Jesus to come? So we all bow our heads and we start praying, bombs still going off around us. 
And as we finish the prayer, we just say, amen. And we all look up. And the pastor looks and he goes, I feel a lot better. He goes, I can feel Jesus. I can feel his peace. He goes, come, you have to pray for, for these people in the church. And he goes, come. So we quickly get up and start walking. And he starts to have this little jaunt in his step as he's walking. And he takes us to the church, and the church is full of people who have fled from war over the last week. And it's beds lined up. It's all these people sardined into the church. And I looked into their eyes, and I've never seen such hopelessness. Some of these mamas who have lost kids, and I don't say lost as in their kids were killed. I say lost as in they didn't know where their children were. Were they abducted? Were they killed? They didn't know. And that, to me, looking into mom's eyes who didn't know where their children were, it was, it was just the most hopeless, hopeless feeling. And so once again, I was like, I have very little to say. I gave a couple words, and I was like, can we just pray? Because Jesus can do so much more than any words that I feel like I can, I can say. So we prayed, and as we were praying, we just felt the presence of God fall, and people started having commotion different places through the church. And so kind of like before, I was like, I don't know if anyone's listening or paying attention, or they're just like, why is this foreigner here? So I kind of wrapped up the prayer really quick, and I was like, amen. And someone came up to me, and they said, Cassandra, this person over here, they were just healed. I was like, what? And they're like, yes. And then someone else came up and they said, this person over here was also healed. And in the midst of our prayer, healing started breaking out across the church. Jesus loves to meet us when we just say yes to him. When we just surrender and just say, okay, God, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to do everything I can and I'm just going to let you do the rest. And so God moved powerfully in that church. And as we were leaving the church, the pastor, he's no longer just walking or jaunting. He is full on skipping. (laughs) And he's skipping. He goes, I feel so good. I feel so free. Bombs still going off in the distance. Jesus has a way. It doesn't matter your circumstances. When our eyes just fix on him and we get lost in his presence, It's all over from there. That's where we need to be. That's where he's calling us to be, is to just get lost in him. What areas in your life is he inviting you to just step out, to step out of your comfort zone? Jesus gave us Holy Spirit because we're, you know, as the comforter, because we're supposed to be uncomfortable. We have to embrace that, which can often be hard, especially when we live in a world that gives us every single comfort we could ever want. And God's like, uh-uh, I'm going to give you the, uh, the comforter because that's where you're supposed to live your life is uncomfortable, pressing in, finding the water that's at flood stages. That's scary. I don't know if you guys find that scary. That would be terrifying to me. And that's where he calls us. That's where he shows up. That's where miracles happen. You want to see more miracles in your life? You want to see crazy things in your life where God is showing up? Step out. 
We just had the justice conference and we are calling people to make radical moves for justice. God has already called us to that lifestyle. Every time Jesus moved, he moved from a place of compassion. And in my mind, I hear that and I say, okay, every time we feel compassion, we should move. I feel like every time we see something or we hear a story that moves our souls with compassion and we don't respond, we atrophy a little bit. God made us to move. God made us for that action. So I want to encourage you to think about that today and as you go, what are some steps that you can take? What are some simple movements that you can start taking into those invitations? And Andre, I'll even call you up um, to come. I'll pray a little bit, but then you can take over. But I want us to pray today because maybe you, maybe it's been a while since you felt that invitation from Holy Spirit. Maybe it's been a while since you said, oh, I felt him leading me this way or that way. I haven't heard of him in a little while. I haven't felt his direction. And I want us to pray that God would awaken that again. And that God would stir up invitations into crazy situations. And to stir up invitations into places that we need him to show up. That we feel so uncomfortable because without him we don't know what to do next. So how do you normally do it? Can I get everyone to stand up? Stand up. And if you feel comfortable putting out your hands, and I'll just pray and then pass it back to Andre. But God, we, we are so in love with you, Jesus. And we are so in love with you, Jesus. God, we thank you for the invitations that you give us. What an honor. What a privilege that you want to use us. Especially when we fail so often. God, it's so beautiful that you keep calling us. And God, I pray that today you would stir our hearts. You would stir our hearts to a new awakening. A new realization for those invitations. God, that we would be so sensitive to your spirit, that we would be so sensitive to the places that you're calling us to, the people around us that you are calling us to love and to love radically. God, I pray that you would just lead us in new ways and that you would give us boldness and courage to say yes. This morning, God, we say yes to you. We say yes to your invitations. We say yes to your heart. We say yes to moving and flowing with your spirit, God. Father, we just ask that you'd even forgive us for the places that we've guarded because we weren't sure we wanted to be uncomfortable. 
the times we weren't sure we wanted to step out of that that little safe place that we grown so accustomed to. God, we're sorry. We're sorry for not trusting you. When you are so trustworthy. You are so trustworthy. So God, we just say yes to you right now. We say yes to your spirit. We say yes to your presence. We say yes to impossible things that are bigger than we can handle on our own. We say yes to you, God. We say yes to you. We say yes to your heart. We say yes to your spirit.